0: One of the things I've always found that God is always waiting for you. He's never left you. (laughs) You might leave Him, but He's always there waiting for you to say, Welcome back. Thanks for coming back. (laughs) This is In Good
1: Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On
2: In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief, and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. Today we're in the office of Pauline Collier, personal assistant to the Archbishop in the Diocese of Jerusalem, the Episcopal Church in Jerusalem, and the Middle East. Pauline, thank you for chatting today. My pleasure. The first question everyone wants to ask is, what are you doing here?
0: Right. Well, in 2013, I came on a course at St. George's College, which is on the site here of the cathedral. The priest at my church in stock in Essex in England was, um, until 2011, was dean of the college at St. George's College here. Um, And when he joined our parish, we started hearing about Jerusalem in a big way. And then 2013, he was asked to come back and lead a course. And I Came out and joined the course. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a wonderful experience. And then, two years ago, 2015, him and his wife, who is an American, led a group of thirty of us from our village on a pilgrimage out here. And it was during that time that I thought, well, I wonder if there's anything I could do here. And when I got back home, started thinking about it. Had a chat with Jill and Stephen and. They started making inquiries here and came up with this, this job. So that was, that's how I'm here. <laughs>
2: in your office here, we're surrounded by binders and binders of all different churches. And what, what all do you manage
0: here? Right. Well, to start with, in this modern day, it's um, answering all the emails that come in from all over the world.
2: Including mine. Thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> from all over the world. With various requests for visits, coming to visit, asking for funding for various um, organisations, families asking for financial help with education, all sorts of things um, that come in across the the, the desk, and uh, so get those sorted out. Do a lot of thank you letters as well for the organisations worldwide, but particularly in America who send a great deal of money to the Holy Land to support the institutions that the diocese organize, hospitals, schools, clinics. And it's a great joy, actually, to be able to thank them for their generosity. And people are really very generous towards the work out in this country.
2: When you were a little girl, did you ever thumb through the Bible and think, I'm going there someday?
0: Um, Thumb through the Bible, yes, many times, <laughs> but um, never with the thought of, of coming to Jerusalem. I can remember as, as a small child uh, hearing a young man who came to my church. He had been here during the war, Second World War, and he told of his experience of going to Bethlehem and looking down through the star to the... And I was absolutely fascinated with that. I thought, Gosh, what an experience. Never dreaming that one day I would do that because that was outside our realm. You only sort of did that if you were probably in the, in the forces, the armed forces, and were, were shipped around the, the world then. But never dreamt that I'd be doing that myself, yes.
2: Will you tell me about your first inklings or awakenings of faith and belief?
0: I'd always been taken to Sunday school. My, I grew up in a, a town called Dagenham in Essex. Um, which was famous for the Ford uh, Motor Company. I think it's the first uh, Ford Motor Company in in England, and it opened in the 1920s. And the big estate grew up then with the expansion of the area. Lots of churches were built, and one of them was the Dagenham Congregational Church, uh, to which my mother um, started attending, and my sister's. And then many years later, there's quite a large gap between my sisters and myself. I went along. I've always attended church. My mother was in charge of the kitchen at the church. So I grew up sitting in my pram, (laughs) I'm told, in the kitchen. So I've always been involved with Sunday school and all things connected with church. So, but I transferred from being a Congregationalist, although they're no longer, they're now called United Reformed Church. When I moved to Kent and the local church there in the village was an Anglican church and I'm a strong believer that you should support the local church and rather than just trotting out to various, travelling miles for it. So that was my local church, it was a tremendous church and I I joined um, that and been an Anglican ever since. (laughs)
2: Are there times in your life that you look back and maybe a story you could share of a, a time, you, whether it would be a feeling you'd have guidance or, of some sort or, or look back and see that you were led in some situation that, to start to really bolster your faith?
0: I think we are given gifts. A um, very st- strong feeling that everybody is given gifts. And I was certainly brought up with the instruction that God has given you gifts and you should use them. At the church in Dagenham, we had many large halls and they were rented out to the Essex County Council at that time for, to house what was called an occupation centre. And this was a place where people with severe learning difficulties could come during the day. Now, this was in the very early years of development of work for children and, and adults with severe learning difficulties. They were using the halls there. My sisters became very interested in the work and they, they started working as instructors in the occupation centre. I used to go along during my school holidays because they didn't have the same school holidays, play the piano, help out for them with them. As I grew, I still had this very strong feeling that that was what I should be doing. I didn't do it immediately. I left um, school, I went into a bank for a few years. But after a while, I certainly had the very strong calling that that's the work I should be doing. So I went into and trained as a teacher for um, children with severe and profound learning difficulties and remained in that right the way through my life. I was a teacher and then a head teacher of a school in, in Newham, which is East London. And then when I retired from that, I still carried on working for the local area and visiting all the mainstream schools in the area doing work-related learning with special needs, so youngsters with special needs. So that really is the very strong feeling that that was a calling for me, that that was what I wanted and that's what God wanted me to do and, and certainly the strong training that God has given you gifts, use them in whatever way uh, you can, don't waste them, <laughs> sitting around doing nothing, don't do that. <laughs>
2: I couldn't help notice at the Sunday service yesterday that you have a beautiful, strong voice. Thank you. And I am just curious if you have a favorite hymn or two that is very meaningful to you and perhaps why you love it.
0: I think I've, I've thought about this and uh, a lot over the years. I, my favorite one, I, there's, there's lots of hymns that one does enjoy singing, but um, the church is one foundation I grew up with that in the Congregational Church. I remember singing that as a child, going to the evening services. It was in the days when you had young church in the morning. Sorry, Sunday school in the afternoon for hundreds of children. <laughs> yes, glory be. And then evening service with your parents. Well, I went always went with my mother. And um, that was the one hymn I can really remember singing. The church is one foundation, And I truly believe that now, that we have all these different denominations, but we are one foundation. And that really is, I think, I I come back to that every time. And not only that, the tune is good.
2: (laughs) Since you've been here in the Holy Land, have you had much time to go around to visit the biblical sites?
0: Not since I've been out here working. When I came on, I was on the course that was... um, in the footsteps of Jesus, and then um, on the pilgrimage, yes, then visited um, all, the, all the, the sites, Nazareth, Galilee, uh, everywhere, in the Jerusalem, et cetera. But I haven't had much time doing it since I've been here because it's been plenty of work to do to, to keep one going, yes. Certainly have been to the various sites around Jerusalem at uh, various, you know, odd times, but um, yes, mainly when I was on the pilgrimage, etc. Mm.
2: I'm wondering if there are, besides church services, if there are personal things that you do, whether it's a ritual or a, a thing you think about or do, mm-hmm. that helps connect you with God and remembering uh, the, the reasons mm-hmm. you do what you do.
0: Um, I've always sung throughout my life. Um, and um, when I, I came here, I, I was really missing um, singing on a regular basis, right, as you do it in church. So the cathedral organist put me in touch with a choir. I phoned the conductor, who's a young lady. One of her questions was, can you speak Hebrew? I said, no, is that going to be a problem? Oh, no, she, we're going to sing a few pieces in Hebrew. I said, no, I don't, I don't worry about that then. That'll be fine. I've sung in Russian and German and all sorts of languages. No, that's OK. Uh, so I went along and... Uh, she said, sing me something. And I, gosh, what do I sing? Well, when I've done an audition before, I've always been asked to sing when I survey the wondrous Cross because you get um, closed vowels on high notes. So I started to sing it. Now, it should give me a clue because she said, oh, I don't know that one. And plus the fact that we were meeting in a synagogue. <laughs> so anyway, she said, right, no, you're fine, that's okay. And um, so I joined the choir. Well... <laughs> I now know why she said, do you speak Hebrew? Because the whole evening is conducted in Hebrew because, well, everyone there in the choir is Jewish. But it's wonderful. It doesn't really matter that I don't understand what she's talking about in between the singing. Music is music all the world over, so that's fine. And if I can't understand the bar numbers, somebody next to me tells me. But that has really been a great experience going along every Sunday evening and meeting 30, 40 Jewish people. They're not orthodox, they're reformed. The, the synagogue we meet in is part of the reconstructed Jewish condition. And it's just wonderful being able to speak to them, because they're quite bewildered, the fact that I'm here in Jerusalem, working for Anglicans, and but they're Arab and particularly that the archbishop is an Arab gentleman. Now, that has not come across, that's not come into their spectrum at all, that they've got an Arab-Anglican archbishop in Jerusalem. So I've, whether that is why I was sent, though, I do not know. But I'm, I'm certainly getting a great deal out of, of being there and meeting with these people and hearing their stories. And um, particularly the gentleman I was talking to last evening who is learning to speak Arabic because he truly believes that all the Israeli Jewish people should speak Arabic as well, as Hebrew. And he goes along to the Islamic um, Centre here to, to learn the Arabic. I think that's just absolutely wonderful to hear that side of life as, as well. That I get a great deal from being with them Uh, as well as being with my Christian friends that come to the cathedral and learn all about uh, Jerusalem. You get a different different slant on it, and it's lovely. It's also wonderful. I love going along Saladin Street, which is our uh, Muslim area here, and meeting the people along there. They are so friendly, um, particularly the, the family at the education bookshop. If anyone ever comes to Jerusalem, please go to the education bookshop because there are tremendous people there that meet, they are so open to all all faiths that they they're just great great people, and it's been just wonderful meeting meeting them and that really is i think if you want something that I, I do that's going out and meeting the people here, and that's you, you get a great deal from them
2: a unique experience yes.
0: absolutely yes yes i'm, I'm If there's one thing I'm really pleased I came to Jerusalem for, I know you've got all the wonderful biblical sites here, but it's the people. They're the living people here. In the Anglican Church, they're called the Living Stones. They're the Living Stones of the Muslim faith and the Jewish faith as well. And together, we've got to be able to make something work.
2: (laughs) I wonder if you have a particular favourite parable or a scripture that you keep in mind sometimes?
0: I think the one that is the, the Good Samaritan, really. doesn't matter who the person is, where they're from, etc. They have the right to be treated with respect, to listen to. They might not always agree with what they're, they're saying, but that to me says a great deal. And yes, you, you can have experiences here that perhaps not as favourable as one would, would hope, but then you just have to, to accept that that some people don't agree with what's happening, what you're doing, why you're here, but you've, you've got to just accept that and, um, and be as gracious as you can to them. But no, the, the, the Good Samaritan, I think, is, um, is, is, is to me, is, is a good one, going around meeting all the people from the different faiths and areas of living here.
2: Have you just always believed, had a gift of faith, or were there experiences?
0: Well, I was brought up to to believe, um, and I've, with Sunday School background and various other things that I belong to, um, it always has been a part of my life. If I've ever doubted or had any feelings of wanting perhaps distance myself at all, but I've always come back to it and one of the things I've always done that God was always waiting for you he's never left you you might leave him but he's always there waiting for her to say welcome back thanks for coming back <laughs> so I think that is I've, I've just it's just been always part of my life and it's got stronger as life's as life's gone on you meet different people that give you different aspects and and can strengthen your faith or diminish it but Concentrate on the people that strengthen your faith. Listen to the people that diminish it. They might have a message for you. But on the whole, listen to the people that will strengthen, strengthen your faith. But it has always been part of my life. I'm always thankful that I grew up in a family that did respect that and never stopped. Always supported. My father didn't um, come to church, but he always supported whatever we were doing, Whatever it was happening, he was there. He never, ever stopped my mother or myself or my sisters ever going, ever going to church. So it, um, that was great. I felt that was his service. Though he, he didn't come worship himself, that was his service. But he didn't stop us from doing so.
2: Speaking with Pauline Collier, personal assistant to the Archbishop in the Episcopal Church in Jerusalem and the Middle East, the Diocese of Jerusalem. Pauline, a pleasure to hear from you, and thank you for sharing your faith.
0: Thank you very much and, um, for asking me, and thank you for coming. I hope you'll come back again someday.
2: <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll pay a visit to Sunday morning services at St. George's Cathedral in Jerusalem. And we'll listen in on our panel as they discuss the ideas presented by our guest, Pauline Collier. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. Welcome to Sunday Morning Services at St. George's Cathedral in East Jerusalem. The cathedral shares a central square with St. George's College, which is just about 200 yards from the Garden Tomb, near the Damascus Gate, the northernmost gate of the Old City of Jerusalem. St. George's was founded by George Francis Popham Blythe, A Church of England cleric. Its mission includes educating clergy and laity from many parts of the world, focusing on pilgrimage, community, study, and reconciliation. A course of study typically lasts 8, 10, or 14 days, and they're open to clergy and laity of all denominations and any faith. You might study the Bible and the land, including archaeology and history, pilgrimage and spirituality, and interfaith Jewish, Christian, and Islamic dialogue. There are services in Arabic for the local Anglican congregation and in English for expats from various countries. And the sermon today is delivered in both languages, one after the other. It's a new experience for many English speakers to sit in a Christian service and hear parishioners saying and singing Allah. But after all, that's simply the Arabic word for God, whatever your religion. Other surprise, many of the congregants are Arab-Israeli Christians. How does that work? Simple. Arab simply refers to their ancestry. Israeli means they're citizens of Israel, where they live. And Christian, kind of self-explanatory. So yes, Arab-Israeli Christians, who are Anglicans to boot. How do you find your own gifts and use them? What experiences have you had working for good in your community with people of other faiths? We invited a group of people to listen to our guest and then respond. Pierre D'Artiganov is from Haiti, grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and has worked for the past 20 years as an insurance agent. Angela Hubbard is a wife and mother of five. She loves to travel and be with her children. She doesn't cook but loves to bake. She's an accountant. Reed Wolfley is a new BYU graduate and bowling fanatic. He's prone to use the word novice incorrectly. Tiffany Esplin is a horse lover, wife and stepmother who loves life and family. She currently works in HR. Pauline was talking about had she ever
3: thought about attending the Holy Land, going to Jerusalem, thumbing through the Bible, had that thought ever crossed her mind? And I thought to myself, when I was young, Did I want to go there? Did I feel like, you know, because I've been raised in a Christian home, had I ever had the desire to attend Jerusalem? And I feel like my whole life, people had always said, you don't have to walk where Jesus walked to believe in Jesus. That's kind of, and I think that's probably to just save on airfare. But I think the main thing that I took away is I would love to go over there. Um, Growing up, my parents, we would go on a lot of trips to museums and national monuments, It's one thing to hear about the Grand Canyon. It's another thing to get the chance to walk down in the Grand Canyon or even like a museum or a national cemetery. They just bring something, being able to go there.
4: I think I tend to agree with you. When I was a child... Listening to the stories that my grandparents used to tell me about Jesus and so forth, and my grandma in particular, she was the matriarch of the home or um, the one who holds the reign of faith. so she used to go watch uh, the Kings of Kings and so forth, and i was I would want to go and join, but I was so young they wouldn't let me. But I always thought, "Oh, it would be cool to visit the Holy Land and so forth. But I think in my older years, um, what I'm coming to realize is that, well, it's nice to go, but also there are equally nice places around where I live that I've not visited. <laughs> Why not? Oh, and I could serve in, in, um, in those capacities, which I haven't, but it's a good thought.
1: Yeah. I loved how she was more focused on the people. And that's a lot of where you go is the people that are there and connecting with those people and learning about them and what makes them tick and why they feel like they need to be
5: there. Just their convictions. She wasn't afraid of people and their differences. There's a lot of unrest in Jerusalem. There's a lot of anger toward one another. She's not scared. She loves the people. And I I really felt like, what an example. I need to be more like that. Because my initial thought of going to Jerusalem was, that would be fabulous. I would love it. But it's too unsteady for me to go there. I'd be nervous. But she doesn't care about that. She cares about serving and helping the people there. I was impressed by that. It's very admirable. It seems like she, at an
4: early age, I believe, she had this internal compass or model that if God has given you a gift, you should use it. Don't let it go to waste, regardless of where you are, um, to really use that gift. I mean, she's from England. (laughs) Essex, um, and going to Jerusalem or Palestine area into a people, what she does not know, and then um, how she's gotten out of herself to really reach out. So similarly, I kind of look at myself. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York uh, from Haiti, and I'm in Utah, a land that is really alienated. (laughs) So it's Pretty interesting, and how to make it home. So I would imagine I kind of felt kind of similar in some ways how she had to make it home. And similarly, that's what I'm trying to do, make this home. She honestly
3: sounded a lot like my parents. Um, When she was talking about use your gifts, God has given you, don't waste them, my parents would instill that in me because they were paying for piano lessons when I was growing up. I don't consider myself on any level of a professional at playing the piano, I can sight-read pretty well, and that has gotten me through. Um, I would play the piano for, like, youth group at church and things like that. All growing up, I was always the piano player for my church back home. And one of the biggest reasons my parents, they are not musically inclined, they wanted me to learn the piano, and all of my siblings play the piano, was when we went on our LDS mission for two years, my parents always thought that playing the piano would be a way you could serve people with a gift because just about every uh, meeting there's a song at the beginning at least. And so they wanted me to play the piano. And so I always just thought, yeah, 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 I'll play the piano. Then I got my mission call to uh, Lubbock, Texas. I'm sure there are plenty of people um, that can play the piano. But lo and behold, in every place that I served, they needed a piano player, which just kind of baffled me. But it really connected me with uh, Pauline. How she was, you know, she's kind of used her musical gifts to connect with people or to be able to at least sing in the choir. And so when I was thinking, when I was hearing her tell that story, I thought, my parents are saying the same thing because it happened for me too that I was able to at least help people not have to sing a cappella every Sunday. And they were so excited when I would go into the area and they would, what can you do? Oh, well, I can play the piano. Really? We haven't had an organ playing or a piano playing for years. And so that was really fun to hear that, you know, we kind of connected me and Pauline on that level.
4: I couldn't help think that she really went out of herself and to serve um, where she was needed. Um, in fact, when she was asked, okay, uh, sing, sing, Um, Do you sing Hebrew? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She was like, well, um, that's not something... She really felt comfortable doing because she sang in Russian and I guess in German, but not Hebrew. Um, it reminded me of something that happened similarly here in a local church, and I do not speak Spanish, and we have a big Spanish community and then I was asked to not interpret but in in some ways like that for the Spanish people, and I was the only one, I guess, as an ethnic individual <laughs> close enough, so I'm like, ah." Oh. <laughs> So I accepted, ended up doing it, and I used the little, um, I don't know if I may call this Spanglish that I had. And at the end, it went well. And now, although my Spanish is really limited, but I'm not as afraid because I got out of myself to help another community.
1: Right. I think also, like she said, with our gifts that God has given us, some of them, you know, you might think that they're like, Oh, I'm really good at this, you know. But we have these hidden gems that we don't really realize that we have. Those opportunities to put ourselves in different situations. Like she knew she loved to sing, but, yeah, she didn't know how to sing in Hebrew. But she would give it the good old try, and she would do her very best. And I think we're blessed with those gifts to help those around us, to connect all the people that are around us that God loves and to show His love for them through us. And if we don't take that step, who will?
4: Also, I believe she had the faith to know, okay, I do not know Hebrew. However, there are those people around me, they do, so they will help me. And then she basically had to kind of uh, put her trust in her colleagues or her friends. So that that was interesting.
5: She mentioned some favorite hymns. The one that she mentioned, I've never heard, but I, growing up, have quite a few. I love the fight songs, the battle songs. I've always loved them because a lot of times that's how life is. You're fighting for what you believe in. You're fighting to stay good. You're fighting against... People who are not nice, you're fighting against just your own personal demons. Those fight songs have always resonated with me. For example, the Battle Hymn of the Republic or Behold a Royal Army or Onward Christian Soldier. Those hymns and many others um, have really helped me in my life to be okay with the battles that I face and know that I can— Come off Conqueror, because I'm on the right side.
1: And those hymns you talk about, she mentioned, like, she has always been always going to Sunday school just as a young age. She's always been supported by her mother, her dad even, and sisters that were uh, all involved with Sunday school and church. So it was instilled in such a small, young age, and so those melodies and those words always are in their minds and it does build that faith and that conviction and knowledge of deity what a great thing to pass on from generation to generation and it's it's not always too late to have that experience i know with my family i have five kids and we every christmas we love the hymns of christmas And so we sing one every night, all the days leading up to Christmas. And my kids love it. They look forward to it every year. And it's something that brings us all together because music can bring you together. And you can share that love that the hymns bring and that music brings into your life.
4: When I was a child, I remember um, going—in fact, I didn't go to the Anglican church, but I went—attended a Catholic church. And where there's—has this—the uh, 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 little hymn that I remember, I mean, from way, 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 um, when I was this high. Um, and I think it goes something like this. Um pa do, bon, moins. papa moins, oh. Oh, c'est un bon papa. Essentially, a translation, loosely, is um, "Don't turn your back to me, Father. You are a great Father um, who will always forgive." And I, that's always stayed with me. It's it's just uh, it, it's it's amazing to look back and knowing that God has always has a plan, although you may not know where you're going in the future. But as you look back, you can see his hands, just as she mentioned that when she was a child, that she had no idea she would ever end up in Jerusalem. And yet, there she was.
3: Yeah, I think the song that, or the hymn that has done that for me or something similar that has done for Pauline, it's Come, Come, Ye Saints. It's a pretty um, classic among the, uh, in the LDS faith. And it's about pioneers who crossed the plains and the uh, moved west. And just recently, actually, maybe a few weeks ago, I've always liked the hymn, kind of when the going get tough, it was kind of a rallying cry for me that they did hard things, I can do hard things. I was listening to a speech last week by uh, the vice president here at BYU, and he was in, I think, the Czech Republic. And they were singing that song, Come, Come, You Saints, and the guy in the stand leaned over to him and said, you know, the chorus is actually translated a little bit differently. In English, the phrase is, all is well, all is well. In Czech, it translates as, not so bad, not so bad. And since then, I've even come to love the song even more. And Pauline was talking a little bit about, with the Good Samaritan, that sometimes we're dealt less favorable situations in life, and we just kind of have to go with what we're given. And that new translation of not so bad, not so bad has really helped me when I
2: feel like I'm in a less favorable
3: situation.
2: This is a conversation in good faith with a group of listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with Pauline Collier. Now back to the conversation.
4: In fact, I think that would lead us to the next when she was asked, what was her favorite um, scripture? And, and, of course, Pauline said the Good Samaritan always touched her. And, indeed, as you can see in her life, uh, by leaving, I mean, England, Essex, I mean, uh, a developed war- nation, and then to end up in the Palestine area. And so definitely just um, leaving your comfort zone and see what you can do to reach out and make your another community better. So now that... Uh, gets me to think, okay, what can I do to emulate those things, um, to be a good Samaritan, to reach out to those? And I'm trying to do that, but that's. it can be tough in the environment that we live in because we go to work, we take care of our families and so forth. And when you come home, like being tired, the last thing I want to do is just check into my neighbor. What is my neighbor doing? But she's she's done it.
1: I think it's very important for us to, like with the Good Samaritan, like she said, what can you do for your neighbor today? My little nephew has um, cancer, and she lives, my sister's boy, and she lives a long, a way away. But the people around her, and they're of all different faiths, all different faiths, are rallying around her and her family, and it's great to see because My family can't be there because they live thousands of miles away. We can't be there physically. But those people are reaching out, and they are lifting them, and they are helping them. And they are just blessings. And we can all do the same for everybody around us.
5: I don't think it's a coincidence that the Good Samaritan was her favorite Bible story and that she referenced that a lot because there's a lot of parallel in her life, and the things that she chose to do that go along with the Good Samaritan. Just like Angela was saying with your sister and the neighbors there, people naturally want good for each other. When you remember that, it helps strangers be not so strange anymore because there is that underlying need, human need, for love and appreciation and service. I'm not surprised that the Good Samaritan was her her favorite Bible story because she's living that Bible story. And it's good to see humanity as good because so often, especially in the news and uh, social media, nobody focuses on the good or hardly anybody does. And so it's really kind of a relief and a comfort to see that there are people rallying around your, your nephew and she taught special education that's amazing to me, people that can do that. Humanity is good, and she's just another living example of how good humanity is.
4: One of the things that she said uh, regarding the living stone, which is kind of uh, odd and weird. So I've been given that some thought, how to be a living stone. But in the same times, um, what I was thinking about was in the New Testament when Christ um, said that he is the living water. And that's what I'm, I'm equating that statement to. I don't know if any, any of you have any any thoughts on it.
3: Well, I think living is probably very similar in the living s- stones, the living water. For me, I see it as uh, Jesus is saying, you don't have to look anywhere else. Like this will always give you what you need. So I think in a sense, living stones, those can come together and build a foundation and I think in any church any community if we're there for one another and we're able to reach out to others people can know that for right now this is all that you need we are here for you and we're willing to support you through whatever you're going through and building up a church is through the community or the church members that are there it takes people that the stones to actually go out and do anything with it. You know, The any belief is dead if it's not acted on or it's not performed. And so I thought it was interesting. I mean, I definitely would count her as a living stone because she is a practicer of her belief.
5: To me, that's what living means. A stone is just a stone, but you add living stone to it. Some, something that lives is moving and breathing and doing, and that's what living is. So to be a living stone or the living... Water, you've got to move. You got to do. You got to be, and change, and breathe, and all of those things that that create something living.
4: So, in other words, it has to be effective in our lives, just as uh, Jesus said, the church uh, was built upon a foundation of apostles, and He Himself being the cornerstone. So it's, it's that, uh, I guess, that symbiotic relationship between he and the people, because the people is what really matters. In fact, what Pauline said, although the Jerusalem area, it's a, a tourist attraction and you got all those different relics, those buildings and so forth, but yet what uh, her security really or her affinity was dealing with the people.
1: At the very beginning of the interview, Stephen asked Pauline when she had her first inklings of faith, and she mentioned that about growing up in the church. And, but then she talked about sometimes we kind of forget that faith or we get to side, like sidetracked. But what I really loved is she said, God is always waiting. He never leaves you. He is always there and waiting for you to come back and there's no doubt that he is there and I I've seen that in my life in my family you do you doubt comes into your heart sometimes but that core inside of you is still that core and you have to find that way back
4: in fact she mentioned that she was heavily influenced by by her family and faith all i mean she went to church as much as she could although her father did not attend any particular church but he didn't stop her from experiencing i guess spirituality um similarly uh, if i can look back i was heavily influenced by my grandma in my own family about faith although it, uh, as feeble as I was, um, it has sustained me throughout life. And then there are times where I feel that I am not living as consistently to what I've been taught, to what I know, but by looking back and knowing the faith of my fathers or my, my, my grandma, and that always tend to kind of lead me back to, I guess, greener pastures.
3: In my own family, It's been a few years now of people have made decisions that I guess myself or my parents would hope people didn't make. And I just know that that is the time to reshow that your arms are wide open, trying to be as loving and... um, understanding as you can. I think Pauline would hopefully agree with me that that's exactly why God is always waiting for people when they have a course correction, is because he does understand perfectly. He's all loving. I really like to hear what she was talking about, that you personally have to let God's love for you transform maybe how you think about yourself, because sometimes... Maybe it's easier to say, you know, my cousin has made wrong decisions against me or something, but now he's repented, he's changed, he's different now, it's easy to forgive. But I think it is so much harder to forgive yourself when you know you went down the wrong path, you made the dumb decision, but it it still applies to us that we can turn back to God or just become better people in any sense of it. Like uh, Pauline was saying, is that you can always do it. You can always make the change. And I think sometimes it's harder to remember that um, for like a personal application.
4: In fact, there's a slogan um, that I always remember that a friend used long ago, um, which state like this. Whenever you're going in the wrong direction, the Lord allows a (laughs) U-turn.
5: Well, she said something. She said, he doesn't leave you, you leave him. Yep. And that's true because he doesn't. But it's your choices that lead you down that path that, where you need the U-turn.
3: I really think pers- for myself growing up in the home that I did, any time that I've had doubts or I felt like I might have gone down the wrong direction, it was those first inklings of faith in my own life that I could look back on. But the reason that I am is because of how happy it makes me. And that that happiness is definitely right now in the present. But a lot of those happy events were in the past. They were years ago of a good experience with my dad, a good experience with my brother. And when I think about those times um, that maybe they're church related or not, it really helps me maybe cast that doubt. I can um, not be as fearful because I can remember something that happened when I was a kid
4: In fact, this morning, I was thinking about this. One of our spiritual leaders of my faith says, put it this way, before you doubt your faith, first doubt your doubts. It's an interesting way to put it, but I've pondered on that. Yeah, before I doubt my faith, let me first cast doubt on my doubts.
3: One thing about this uh, Pauline lady that I've noticed in the past half hour of getting to know her is – She knows how to find beauty, and I think one of her gifts is seeking that out as opposed to um, darkness.
1: The sunrises along the Rocky Mountains are beautiful. The sun coming up against the snow-capped mountains just reminds me a lot of how she would sing in Canterbury Cathedral back in England. And how it moved her to the beauty of the surroundings and that we are all part of God. And he, he hears us and he shows us his divinity all over wherever we may be. Whether it's in Jerusalem, whether it's on a coast watching the surf come in, or whether wherever that sanctuary is, we all have one. And it's a beautiful thing.
4: Uh, similarly, it is. Uh, one time, I went and took a big hike on a, a local mountain, and just to see the sunrise, it was just glorious, beautiful. And the Lord in Scripture states that um, I make the sun or the rain on the. Wicked and the righteous, or in similar, the sun um, rises on the wicked and, or the righteous. It doesn't matter because of his love. So how wonderful it is that, to know that we, we have this beautiful world and we can see all around us all the splendor. And to look back knowing that, hey, we're not alone there is a God, there is a Father who really cares um, about all of us, that we have each other as a community that we do can rely on if we are willing to be the Good Samaritan. And how wonderful that is to know that, yes, although there are sorrows on on the earth, but also there is majestic beauty and sympathy and greatness that we can can achieve just due to um, each and every one of us.
5: I think beauty is in each other, too. Finding the beauty in each other, in in people we don't know, that draws a connection that I think would make God smile.
2: That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists and especially to Pauline Collier for generously sharing her stories and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation and we welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out anytime via email ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find all of our shows archived online for listening or sharing with friends at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith or subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for production help from Marcus Smith and Christine Knockleby for this episode. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here, in good faith.